just my own good deal. Yay. If you would, take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew 15. I didn't see any men in a big hurry for processed meat. Okay, that's fine. Um, you guys remember, oh, okay, in the basement, well, you don't remember because you weren't raised there. Do you remember in old churches, do you remember uh, the, um, that they, they used to, uh, they'd have a scroll with like the, the maps in it. Anybody had that experience growing up? In the basement of our church growing up, we had a scroll, big scroll. You sit up on a, you'd sit on a tripod. And it had maps. You, you remember that? You remember that? Okay. I had no idea what those maps were for. I didn't understand. Now I understand. So if you would take your Bible and go with me to Matthew fifteen twenty nine through thirty nine. Uh, <laughs> this is fun. Oh, thanks. Uh, let's read. Read this. Matthew fifteen twenty nine through thirty nine. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put their and put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Does that sound familiar? Um, and Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down uh, on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and uh, went to the region of Megadon. It's funny that he got in the boat that time and didn't walk on the water because that happened before. Okay, so let's, uh, let's pray. Father, um, we're independent people. If anything can be said about any of us here who claim Christ, it must be that we are not independent people. Um, In fact, we're desperately dependent people. And so I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to our need today for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 29, uh, Jesus went up from there and walked 
beside the Sea of Galilee and went up uh, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. So let me see if I can get this to work. This is why I talked about the map earlier. Everybody see that? Where was he at? Yeah, it says that um, in verse uh, 29, Jesus went up from there. So where was he at? Well, for that, we have to go back to verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of where? Tyre. That's not the tires that you put on your car. That's Tyre. That's a city. And Sidon. Do everybody see? Does everybody see Tyre on that map? It's kind of hard to see on. Okay, you see that on the dark. There's a dark side of the map. I'd get up and walk, but and th- throw my cane at where you're supposed to go, where you're supposed to see. But on the left side, on the right side of the dark side, clear up at the top, near the top, it says Tyre. Everybody see that? Yeah, it, it, yeah. The the laser is. It's worthless. I don't think it'll work on there. Yeah, you can't. I can't. Mike, I can't tell where it's at. It doesn't do me any good. To, anyway, even if the laser worked, I couldn't see it. So, tire is up near the top of, of your page there. Okay? And so, he went to a re- mountainous region and he sat down. Darren unfolded for us last week that in that, and that, by the way, that's why they had maps in Sunday school. Okay, just so you know. So you can figure out. Their, Sunday school teachers would actually use those back before I was a, you know, when I was a kid, there were probably still some Sunday school teachers that were still using the role of map. And uh, so that's it. So you see Tyre there, that's where he's at. He's in the region of Tyre and Sidon. And we saw last week Darren unfold for us the Canaanite woman, one of our uh, gospel accounts talks, I think it's Mark, talks about a Syrophoenician woman, same woman. Um, we'll turn there in just a second. And so he was in that region, and, um, and that's where he was at. So he goes down beside the Sea of Galilee and went up on a mountain and sat down. So um, uh, let's see here. So let's go with let's go to that other account in Mark. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Because there's another interpretive clue here that we need to look at and uh, I think this is helpful because as you can see, the Sea of Galilee, he's going to come down one side or the other side. Which side did he go down on? And why does it matter? Maybe it doesn't matter at all. Um, I think that it does. So if you will go with me to Mark chapter 7, look at verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and in the region of the Decapolis. Anybody see Decapolis on the map? There you go. Bottom right. So which side do you think he went down? Was he on the... So for those of you who are directionally... know your directions on a map. Did he go on the east side or the west side? The east side, or for those of you who are directionally challenged, he went to the right, okay? So he went to the right of Galilee. Is that the Gentile side or is that the Jewish side? 
as a Gentile side, Syrophoenician woman, Canaanite woman. Um, so keep all that in mind. Uh, so when we get, when we eventually get to the feeding of the 4,000, is it a Jewish feeding or is it a Gentile feeding? Okay, good thing you're sitting down. I'm glad I'm sitting down. It was a Gentile feeding. There were actually commentators who were referenced in my more conservative commentaries that liberals think that this is a repeat. That that the Matthew, Mark, and John who would have well Matthew and Mark who would have recorded this it, that it was a that is a repeat of the five thousand is not a repeat. It's a whole different feeding. It's the feeding of the four thousand. Um, so if you'll go back to Matthew fifteen thirty and thirty one, notice with me there. But we'll of course save the feeding for later. Excuse me. Verse. Let's go back to twenty nine. Why did I miss the rest of these? Um, Matthew 29, excuse, excuse me, 30 and 31. And, the great, and the, the great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame and blind and crippled and mute and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy and the lame walking, and the blind sing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So, who is it that was coming up with Jesus in the crowds? Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. So, the people coming to him for all this healing were Gentiles. Now, as you can imagine, the the disciples' heads were spinning in the last story. Think about this. This this Canaanite woman wanted her daughter healed from demon possession, and the disciples wanted... The woman sent on. She's bothering us. Get out. And now you've got droves of people, all Gentiles, all sick, all showing up at Jesus' feet, and Jesus does something amazing. He touches them. He heals them. I had to change this. I put on here that we... We go to the drive-thru. It used to be that I, I went to the drive-thru. I can't do that anymore. So we go to the drive-thru. We order our food. We pay, right? We get our food, and then we drive away. If the order isn't what we want, we do two things. What do we do? Well, for, we always complain. But we go back, drive-thru again, because, you know, the order was wrong. Or we vow... I'm never going back. <laughs> of course, if you've ever had a McDonald's, if you ever had McDonald's and children in the same room, it doesn't matter how many times you vow, I'm never going back to McDonald's. You will be back there someday. Um, as a result, unfortunately, we've Americanized this passage and we've Americanized the church and, and we've taken the same mentality. So we glaze right over this, these verses. Here's what I mean. Um, many were healed. And if the Canaanite woman's faith in what Darren pointed to us last week was great, the faith of these Gentiles was great as well. Um, But verse 31, the very end, says that they glorified the God of Israel. That is really unusual for Matthew. 
In fact, Matthew prefers to call God Father, Heavenly Father, or Father in Heaven. He uses those names in his writing over 40 times. 40 times. What's he saying to all these Jews that are sitting down to Matthew's writing? The Gentiles who do not, who not only are undeserving of the presence of the Messiah, but also of all of these healings glorified the God of Israel. A different God than they used to glorify before. Not uh, only are we freed from physical ailments, um, but we are freed from the bondage of idolatry as a result of the touching of Christ. We get hung, hung up on healings, so often in our culture, we get hung up on um, the size of our own faith. Oh, no, I don't have enough faith, and this is happening to me. But we miss the fact that their worship was radically changed. There is no fast food mentality with these Gentiles. They rightly glorified God, the correct God. And what was the result? fast food, of course, because you know you're in a desolate place, so, and you're with the Messiah, and what does he give? Look look at the fast food in 32 through 39. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took seven loaves uh, and fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they took and all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and then, of course, went into the region of Megadon. So, so why does this episode seem so repetitious to what we've seen before? Back up to chapter 14. Look at verses 13, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And now it was evening, and the disciples came to him. This is a desolate place, uh, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They sound a lot alike, um, but there's, there is some things that we need to look at. Um, the crowds in front of him, as we've said, are Gentiles, not Jews. Also, he's he is not only going three days with little or nothing to eat, the crowd is going three days with without something to eat. Can you imagine a different reaction? All we have to do is flip the page, but the disciples were watching all of this in doubt. These are Gentiles. The crowd went three days without food, and their inclination was to get rid of them as they tried to do with the Canaanite woman. There was no possible way that their Messiah was going to feed the crowd. These Gentiles weren't chosen, obviously. They, weren't, they were wrong on worship, right? 
absolutely. They were half-breeds. Um, their history was wrong. Um, three days, isn't that long enough? Shouldn't a day just be long enough? And instead he goes three days. Um, everything about this was wrong. So um, you can, it doesn't say this. I'm, I'm inferring here. But my guess is that the disciples' heads were exploding. This is not right. This is well beyond the abilities of maybe Christ. I mean, at some point, they're having almost the exact same conversation that they just had two chapters ago. There's no way uh, that they weren't facing the same exact problems in a whole different way um, and met here in, in their case with doubt. Yet the conversations look similar because Christ's expression of mercy and compassion is the same in both chapters. It didn't matter whether it be Jew or Gentile. He expresses a very basic desire. He didn't want them to be to leave there from that desolate place unfed. It doesn't matter who you are. You are more than welcome. Please bring your brokenness. Um, please bring your baggage. Uh, Christ isn't naive. You know what? Let's just get that get that out. Because I think I think sometimes Monday morning, honestly, I think we think that God isn't going to watch us Monday morning any more than He's watching us on Sunday morning with the assembled group of people here. God doesn't change. He's not naive to this. He's not naive to you. And I, um, he does. And it doesn't matter the time at all. Absolutely. And so, um, he doesn't miss stuff because he's watching the other 7.59 billion, which there's 7.6 people, so I don't know if 7.59 is minus one. If, if so, you're a million people. I don't know. Can't be that my math is right there. But nonetheless, he's hearing all 7.6 billion people. And just as he does that, he includes the things that you're, that you're seeing and that you're doing and that you're praying he sees. Um, he came to seek and save the lost. That sounds really past tense, doesn't it? Let me inform you of something great about my Savior. It is that he is still seeking, and he's still saving the lost. Um, that does not change. And so we have, as we've already seen, none of them, after being touched by him, could live the same way. That is a fact that never ends, just as us coming with our baggage is a fact that never ends. Come, as you are, just understand, he won't leave you the same way as you were before. So, as we've already seen, none of them, after being touched by him, could live the same way. It's not the front end of salvation that matters so much as the back end of salvation. And here's what I mean. Is he still worthy? Is he still worthy of our praise? Is he still worthy of our adoration? Um, I was raised in church. 
just like many of you were, um, do we respond to the gospel the same way we used to? At one point, it felt awe-inspiring. Does it still feel awe-inspiring? When you think about a resurrected Messiah, does that get you excited or is it just something that you've heard over and over and over again? This is what's crazy. After he feeds the 5,000, they wanted to make him a king. After he feeds the 5,000. Go with me to John 6. I want you to see this for yourself. I, I've had this in the notes just in, in reference, but I went ahead and wrote down John 6 so that we could see this. And, and I want you, to, you guys to see this is what a fast food mentality looks like. Verse 15. So he feeds the 5,000. That which crowd was the 5,000? Jews or Gentiles? The Jews. These are the people that were raised, quote unquote, the right way. Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Of course, we know he walks on the water after this. This is what's happening between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, the, the fast food mentality says, Jesus, you can't, you can't actually be who you claim to be. You, you have to be what we claim you must be. The Jews want to change Jesus from who he is. You do not get that from the Gentiles. For the Gentiles, they were they, he was already their king. Go to John 4. Don't go to John 4 right now, but if, for further reference, look at, look at how he's interacting with a Samaritan woman. Same way. She didn't have to change. She wanted to change. And why did she want to change? Because she had met Christ. The Jews, on the other hand, were willing to conform Christ instead of taking Christ for who he was. Um, So he feeds them, all of them, and this, according to the uh, gospel writer, is 4,000 plus women and children. So we're still talking tens of thousands of people that he's feeding. And he fills them all up, every one of them. Numbers are different, yes. One's 4,000, one's 5,000. Seven baskets instead of 12. I, I get... So is Jesus running out of miraculous power? How many of you have seen Santa Claus 2 with Tim Allen? Where he has to get married. You know, he has the watch on and he's running out of that. Okay, that's not happening to Jesus. Okay, in fact, there's a different Greek words. It's interesting. In chapter 14, the Greek word for basket is the Jewish, it's a Jewish basket. It's the basket they used for their kosher food. In chapter 15, or in in uh, in chapter 15, it's a different Greek word. It's the same, it, but the baskets are big enough. I just found out, Rod, since we had this conversation already, that the um, the baskets in 15 are big enough to lower Paul from the uh, from Damascus from the wall. That's a big basket. So size, yes. 
there is maybe these baskets are bigger, so only seven are needed. Nonetheless, these were the everyday baskets, not the same Greek word. Use a different Greek word to describe the kind of baskets that they put the food in. If you're putting kosher food in an unkosher basket, that is a bad thing. That's not what they were doing here because they were what? Gentiles. Hmm. Never get a record of a single Gentile coming up to Jesus, tugging on his sleeve in disappointment because the Jews spent less time with Jesus and they got more. Twelve baskets instead of seven. Um, Instead, the Gentiles were satisfied with what the Messiah was offering them. Which led me to think of another passage. I don't want to steal somebody's thunder because it may not be me, but chapter 20, the first 16 uh, verses of Matthew, he describes this. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, go in the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, so we're talking close of the day here, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to, to his foreman, call uh, the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now then those... Uh, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. And each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did I not agree with, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. What right do we have to argue with God? Yet we don't picture God without his McDonald's sun visor, right? He's at the first window. He didn't get the order right. So where's the receipt? We've got to find it because we're going to come back around. We're insistent that God has to surrender his sovereignty in order for us to maintain our right. Our right to tell him he's wrong. And we do. Our right to pray as we like. Uh, in spite of his directives on prayer, our right to scramble our tomorrows so that they work for us, even though he's the Lord of tomorrow. Only idols conform to the will of mankind. Only idols are pliable. Only idols change. 
the God of the Bible doesn't conform. And as, as we hear of Aslan, he's an untamable lion. He's appro- and we'll get to that. Yeah, he's approachable for sure. But we've got to start. There's players here. There's Christ. There's disciples. There's crowds of people who are very, very um, wowed, just like the, the Canaanite woman was. So I have to ask, how hungry are you? Can you go three days without eating for even a chance to be seen by Christ? This alone exposes a level of idolatry in our own lives. Time is our God, isn't it? Not the God of the Scripture. It's what most affects our schedules. These half-breeds were uh, three days in the wilderness with Jesus. For some of us, three days without work would leave us destitute. They understood they were already destitute. It didn't matter. The underground church sitting under a single light bulb in a basement that they had to sneak into, knowing fellow believers who were either in prison or had been killed will sit on dirt floors for hours to taste the worship and freedom of Christ. These people are destitute. Our main problem is probably not that we lack this or that convenience, but rather a failure to comprehend how destitute we really are. Because right now, some of you are thinking, you know what? It's getting late. He better, I know, I've I've been in your seats. He better be wrapping this up soon. Why? We got lunch and we got football games. What is it? No, it's June. We got, is it baseball? I don't even know. In my house, it was football. If the pastor wasn't done by 1130 and we didn't get to the pregame, that was a big deal. I mean, we had to see the pregame show. It didn't matter what was for lunch. You ate it as fast as you could to watch the pregame show. We love time. How destitute are we? Now, that's not a preacher's excuse to go longer, but we do that, don't we? If I were to ask a show of hands, and I'm not going to, how many of you have already thought about dinner, hands would go up. I guarantee you they would. Secondly, the way that we apply this is to look at the disciples. And my goodness, what a poor lot this group of disciples really was. Christ has proven his power in almost the same way as he did, and I put down a chapter ago, two chapters ago, yet the differences are enough that the Gentiles have reached the end of their belief. Three days instead of one, Gentiles instead of Jews, seven and three instead of five and two. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Seven loaves of bread instead of five. I don't know how many times God has confirmed his presence his faithfulness over and over and over. And I find myself recommitting, whatever that means, back to Christ, going, okay, I got it. And then a whole new set of trials comes along 
something different, and I doubt. Shame on me. It's not the size of the God that matters, really. Because when you see who, how big God is, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's that we would ever come to the place where we feel abandoned by God. Oh, how would we ever feel that way when time and again he's proven himself over and over and over? Hmm? We're dumb sheep. She doesn't pull punches, does she? She just gets right to it. We're dumb sheep. I know. That's right. And that's, and you know what? The only variable in this entire situation, despite in, in, in these chapters, the only variable that stays the same is God. It's Jesus. And Jesus, yeah, has compassion on these people. But I'm most blown away at the tenderness of Jesus towards the disciples. He doesn't raise his voice. I mean, it's, it's the written word, so we don't know, but my guess is that he wasn't raising his voice. And in spite of how degrading it seemed, he set them all down, set the whole, all the crowds down, made the disciples disperse all this food to all these people. You would think that they would get it. And, of course, we have baskets full of leftovers. Um, and in spite of circumstances maybe being different, the disciples' lack of faith did not stop him from being who he was. Praise God for his long-suffering. He condescends to us the same way, that we don't deserve this. He's proven himself time and again, and he continues to be faithful to us. But don't let him shut the door. Stupid sheep need a faithful shepherd, and that shepherd... This week, we were riding along in the car. One of my daughters, I didn't put her name in here because I didn't want to single anybody out, but um, had had awakened that morning to the realization that as sinners, we don't get what we deserve. She testified to God's mercy. You are here, we are here because he alone has compassion. And that's it. Not because we've made it this far, but because he's chosen to give you and me life clear up to this point. Not because you deserve it. Not because I deserve it. Sorry, it's my confession. You're not entitled to have life the way that you want it. Jesus gives everything that the disciples needed. He gives us everything that we need. And, I mean, I'm looking at what I've, I've been, it's 
Father's Day. Look at what God has given. I have four kids. I have a wife. I have a warm house. If he takes all of those things away, does he remain unchanging and worthy? It's easy to say that. Will you praise him for what he's given? Will I praise him for what he's given? Job stood up and tore his robes in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground. To worship. He said, imagine these words coming off of your off the off your own lips after losing everything but his health. I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Jeez, I'm not that kind of man. It's not wrong to grieve, but even grieving can has to be done the right way. Look at our God. Let's pray. Father God, you do all things well. We heard that this morning, and I I know it wasn't, it was in the practice with the band, but you do everything well. I feel like I bump around, and I'm not sure of, of myself and I don't know what all is going to happen and it doesn't really matter because you do everything well. So I don't have to force you to be my king. You are my king. The question is not whether or not you're my king. The question is, am I subject to your authority? Am Am I loyal to you? in your kingship, and in your sovereignty over my life. Because the difference between a saint and sinner is not that one lives flawlessly and the other fails all the time. It's a willingness to just submit to what you've said. It's a willingness to submit to the gospel. So, Father, I pray for this lot of people. Not that we would go away from here trying to do better, because that's impossible. We can't. But have we been fed, and are we satisfied? It doesn't matter who we are. We come to you as we are, and you change us. You fill us. So pray, Father, for every person in this room, especially for those who are here, who will hold out, that you are naive.
that you don't really know. God, change their hearts. Please change their hearts. Allow them to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name.